to me, that's what fire is in terms of a definition. But beyond that, it's more of a lifestyle. It's more of understanding that you don't need to keep up with the Joneses. On top of that, you know, you don't need to keep up with all the celebrities out there who, you know, are showing off this mansion and this car and whatever. It's bad enough as is just trying to keep up with the Joneses. But now, you know, with social media, everyone's posting their dream life and which is not reality. And it's just being aware of that, like being aware of what you value and what brings you joy and focusing on that. It's a mindset shift. It's understanding that true happiness does not have to be expensive. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 97. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. On today's show, we have Courtney. Courtney is in her 30s. She lives in Canada with her wife and child. She has a net worth of $1.2 million and is on fire. In fact, she's planning to retire to travel the world within the next year. Last week on the show, we had Marco. Marco is the host of a podcast titled Passive Real Estate Investing. He shared his thoughts on all things real estate investing, including his 10 rules of successful real estate investing, including the ability and opportunity to invest in real estate outside of one's principal place of residence. We were on Marco's show recently and we talked about our stories and lessons learned from millionaires we've interviewed. That's episode number 172 if you're interested in that. Before we get into today's interview with Courtney, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital, for supporting the show. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identifies stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come with investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has over 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. We appreciate all of you tuning in to the podcast week after week. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. If you're a millionaire yourself and would like to be featured on the show, please reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Without any further delay, let's jump right into today's interview with Courtney. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing now? Sure. Um, so my name's Courtney. Um, I'm married. Uh, we have a daughter um, who's one years old. I am 33 and my wife is 31. And uh, we're, I'm originally from the States and my, my wife is originally from Canada. Uh, we met while living down in Florida and we now live in near Calgary, Alberta. Um, so we have a bit of a unique um, position here in that we have accounts both in 
U.S. and Canadian, um, various accounts, various taxable, non-taxable accounts. Um, but yeah, we, we are uh, at the point now where we have reached financial independence for our family of three. Uh, we're hopeful for a family of four, uh, hopeful for a second baby. There's no guarantees, obviously, with a, a lesbian family, but that's what we're hoping for. So I'm still working um, as we plug away for the, our uh, fire number, assuming a four-person family. And my wife is a stay-at-home mom. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? Just over $1.1 million. And kind of give us the breakdown of, of the 1.1. Sure. So a majority of it is just in investments. We have, uh, also we have a house and some paid off, ca- paid off cars. Our investments make up about $880,000. Our house is valued at just over $300,000. Um, but of that, we still have 90,000 of a mortgage, um, remaining. That money is sitting in a high interest savings account, which is part of that $880,000 in our investments. Um, so we have about 800 net, um, in investments once you take out that mortgage piece. And then we also have, uh, two paid off cars that we bought used, reliable, low mileage cars that each have about 50,000 miles on them and are valued in total at about $15,000. Wow. And how did you accumulate all of this wealth? Um, so I'm just, I've always been pretty frugal. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was doing after I, uh, finished my master's degree in terms of investing. Um, I, I started off with $70,000 in student loan debt. My wife, uh, had $40,000 to her name. So our first mission out of all of this was to just pay off our student loans. And so any extra income that we were making, um, out of our first jobs, we're just immediately going to to the student loans. We were living with roommates to try and cut down in expenses um, from that angle. I lived right across the street from work, so I didn't really have uh, any sort of high commute costs in terms of gas. Um, and right around when I finished paying off those loans, which for me, for my $70,000 took about two and a half years, uh, I learned about Mr. Money, Mr. Money Mustache, and that was in 2011. Uh, I started my first job at the beginning of 2009. And at that point, I just became hooked. And it was just this rabbit hole that I just went down and learned about not just that blog, but many other blogs in the financial ind- independence space. And that's when I got into investing. I guess to backtrack, when I was paying off my student loans, I was contributing some money towards my 401k. I was getting the company match. I think I was putting in about 10% maybe of my income, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, it was in a total, uh, one of those target 2045 funds uh, that my company had through Fidelity, um, which I still have it in today. So I'm, I'm fine with, with that decision, um, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And then once I learned about Mr. Money Mustache, I learned about the investment side and also the idea of house hacking. So we did that too, which really propelled us even further to reaching our financial independence number at a, at a propelled rate. So it's been about 10 years now in total. Um, really started getting into the investing side again in like 2011, 2012. And I'm not active by any means. I'm not like a day trader or anything like that. I just kind of a set it and forget it in low fee index funds. 
Uh, majority are in stocks. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Do you know what your savings rate's been along this journey? Yeah, so it's right now it's at 75%, and that's just based off of my one income for a family of three. Uh, we spend, we're, we're valuists. We'll spend money on things that we value, and we don't spend money on things that we don't. So right now we spend about $24,000 a year. Um, and I'm currently make about $130,000 before taxes. So it's about $100,000 after taxes. Well, and that's with the paid off mortgage? Correct. Yes. So that's with the paid off mortgage. So that's all other housing expenses, property taxes, uh, utilities, home insurance, HOA, repairs. If there's any, we haven't really had any yet. We were in a new townhouse. Um, but. Car expenses, which we don't have a car payment. The cars were bought used, but relatively low gas. I work from home, um, so I don't really have much gas expense, but minor repairs there. Our food budget is pretty low. We spend about $400 a month on food between all of us. Maybe, maybe it's closer to $450 now that our little one's eating and she loves blueberries, which are like the most expensive fruit out there. I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. I cut my daughter off of blueberries a couple of times because, well, and raspberries, like, all right, you're going to the bananas and now that's because yeah. those are a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, luckily right now it's season. So we're planning to just stock up and buy like gallons worth and throw them in our deep freeze for the winter or else we'd be going broke just on blueberries alone. Oh, I but know exactly <laughs> how that feels. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we value travel. Um, we're into travel hacking. I've been to 25 different countries. We've been all over the US and Canada. We really value that, but we keep it low, low expenses. We like to camp. Um, we'll go to an Airbnb. We like to uh, hike. So which is typically free. We're, we're really into uh, being outside and enjoying nature. So we'll go for walks all the time. Um, just on our daily routine. We just those are just things we value. And really, we spend maybe $150 a month on just miscellaneous. I don't, I keep track of everything since 2009. I've had a super simple Excel spreadsheet that I just made that had one column of income, one column of expenses, put that number down and what it was for. And to this day, that's kind of how I track everything. I don't use Mint or personal capital or anything. I just, I prefer, I just enjoy logging into each of my accounts one by one and being accountable for my spending. I find I'm more accountable that way than just logging in and everything tallies it up for me. Um, so yeah, I've just been really mindful of my spending and my wife is a hundred percent on board too. Um, when I first met her, I didn't realize this, but she was in school and she was sleeping on the floor not a mattress on the floor. Like she was just sleeping on the floor because she didn't want to buy a mattress. Like that's how wow. hardcore she was. <laughs> and then the first time I went and visited her, she had bought a mattress right before then. Like I didn't know this for years. You know, if I knew that, I, I would have proposed right then and there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so like she's just also like on board of team intentionality and you know, just not going crazy. Like we, we don't, we don't have TV. We don't value cable or marketing or advertising. Like I couldn't tell you what the latest trend is in fashion. Like I don't care about any of that. So I don't spend my money on that. Yeah. Would it be safe to say that, that you're on the fire path? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
our plan is to retire here in the next year or two, I guess I'll say. Um, originally, I was thinking 2021, but it might be propelled even before that. It could be as early as 2022, um, as the markets have really improved here over the last 10-year bull run. I don't really check my accounts that often up until this year. Um, I just, I think it was in December of this year, I started an Instagram account, Fire Two Moms, One Babe. And just maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I launched our blog, which is modernfamily.com. And since doing those two things, I've been tracking my accounts more frequently, which to me is once a month, which I think some people listening may be like, that is not frequent. But for me, that is um, because up until that point, it was just kind of in automation, set it and forget it mode. And I would check my accounts maybe two or three times a year to really see how the overall portfolio is going. Um, I would, again, I would log into my expense sheet where I'd put in my income and my expenses each month. But to actually check and see where the portfolio is going, I just let it ride in hopes to be pleasantly surprised. And sure enough, um, we were. So yeah, we're, we're kind of on track to, to reach fire earlier than anticipated. But yeah, since figure learning about Mr. Money Mustache in 2011, I was hooked on, into the fire community. I've learned about other blogs, um, Mad Fiantist, Frugal Woods, JL Collins stock series. Highly recommend that to everyone who's listening who's never heard of it or his book, The Simple Path to Wealth. Afford Anything with Paula Pant. Her blog is great. Choose FI, as well as Early Retirement Now blog, has a, a really great safe withdrawal rate series that really digs into the 4% safe withdrawal rate, which is kind of this unspoken rule in the FIRE community. And he has a PhD in economics. I'm an economics and math background, so I, I get numbers. And uh, it's really technical, lots of charts, but I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And so for me, personally, my safe withdrawal rate that we're comfortable with is below 3.5%. And to dig, I guess, even further, um, so our, our fire number is based off of an annual spend of $35,000 a year. So with the 4% rule, uh, that equates to $875,000. So we have about $75,000 to go until we've reached that in terms of our um, passive income from our investments, not our net worth, which accounts for the house and the car. I don't include those in my fire numbers because I don't plan to have a mortgage. And so I don't include the value of the house because it's kind of a, a net neutral um, thing there. And same thing with our car. Uh, I don't have car payments in our expense in our fire numbers because not including um, the net worth of our, our car in those numbers. So um, our fire number of 875 is purely just based off of passive income from um, our different taxable or tax advantage accounts um, that are, again, uh, mostly in stocks, some bonds. I think our total breakdown is about, well, you're going to laugh, but 63% stocks, 12% bonds, and then 25% cash. We have a lot of cash right now, which is kind of multifaceted. There's a total of about $220,000 in cash. Of that, $90,000 is for, to take account for the remainder of the mortgage. We house hacked our house in Florida back in 2012 when we bought it. 
It was during the crazy Florida foreclosure mayhem. And I bought a four bedroom townhouse, rented out the three rooms, made way more than my mortgage payments, which supercharged our mortgage. Um, so we were able to pay that off in two and a half years. And then when we moved to Canada, we rented townhouse out for another two years. So we gained even more money from that. And then when we sold it, we sold it for $100,000 more than we originally purchased it for. So those three things combined allowed us to pay for our Canadian new townhouse. But we decided not to pay it all off up front in cash. Um, we wanted to have that money in our accounts because the interest rate was quite low, 2.59% on our Canadian mortgage. And so right now we have the remainder $90,000 sitting in a high interest savings account that's at 2.8%. So we're actually making money right now by having a mortgage, which is kind of bizarre. Um, and then the remainder, which is about $130,000 in cash, is because we're being on the conservative end, because we are close to our fire date, we want to have a cash cushion, not the whole 129. That's high. But I am just, I know they say time in the market is better than timing and timing the market, but I am just waiting. I've been waiting and waiting, which I know anyone listening is like, you're dumb. Don't do that. Put it in right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I like smack myself sometimes like saying I'm dumb. Don't do that. Um, but I am waiting for this eventual crash um, to buy, you know, uh, US index funds that were big into VTSAX um, when it's on sale, essentially. So with that, to go back to the safe withdrawal rate, sorry, I kind of got off on a tangent there. Um, but a lot of our portfolio, we're using geographic arbitrage. So we're basing our fire number that $875,000 that we need in passive income based off of the 4% rule. But in reality, we're going to be withdrawing less than 4%, primarily due to two reasons. Um, a majority of our investments are in US dollars, uh, about 73% of that total 883 that we currently have. So if you use the, uh, the US Canadian exchange rate, it's currently sitting at 1.3-ish. Um, so if you convert that, that essentially adds in another $200,000 into our portfolio in Canadian dollars. And that's where we live. That's where we plan on staying. That's the currency we plan on using. So with that, that essentially brings us down to a 3% safe withdrawal rate. And then the other thing that we're doing is Canada has a child tax benefit. It's subject to whichever party is in, in play, you know, politically wise. Um, it's always been there. It's just been a matter of how much does each family get. So we understand what it is today might not be what it is in the future. We get that. But currently, I wouldn't, we don't really receive it right now because I am a high earner. But once we fire and we become a family living on $35,000 a year, we will be able to claim $5,000 per child per year. I believe it's till they're 17, it's either 17 or 18. It tapers off a little bit. I think it's about 6,000 until they're six. And then it tapers off to closer to maybe a little under 5,000 from six to 17. Um, so give or take, you know, on average about 5,000 per child per year. So that's another $10,000 
that we would be getting each year from that benefit. And so that brings us down even further, I think, close to 2% withdrawal rate. And then this, of course, is assuming that we are never going to do anything again that brings us any sort of income, you know, whether it's a hobby or a part-time job or whatever it may be. This is just assuming that doesn't happen, which is probably unlikely. Um, I feel like the first couple years I want to take off. I want to be around while the kids are young and not in school and have both parents at home just to be with our kids 24-7. But maybe once they're in school, do something, uh, you know, part-time during the day. And we're also planning to keep up with our blog, too. Not that we're planning to monetize it, but maybe it does in the future. Who knows? You know, that's not something we're banking on or planning on, but you never know. So those are how we're being ultra, ultra conservative. My wife like makes fun of me and is like, you could have retired years ago. And I just haven't. Like, I just can't get myself to do it. So um, until these numbers really make sense to me, I just want to be, you know, make sure we're making the right decision. And again, you know, if we decide to retire in a year and that's when the market crashes, I have no problem going and getting a part-time job to weather the storm if need be, if it means I need to make $35,000 a year. Like I will find something that does that, you know, um, I don't think that's going to be a challenge. I'm not really, you know, too concerned from, from that angle. Yeah. And that's, and that's always the concern, right? Is is with buyer is, Hey, you pick your number and say it's seven, 800, 900, you know, 1.5 to whatever somebody's number is. And then all of a sudden there's a market correction. They're banking on this three and a half or four or four and a half, whatever withdrawal rate. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the market drops and all of a sudden the 3% of what it's dropped to, you know, if there's a big 30% drop or something, then it's not enough. So, but it sounds like you've kind of thought about that and you guys have kept your options open and and it's interesting all the things that you guys have done to to get get to where you are today. Oh yeah, like I've overthought it because again, like another layer here is we're trying to plan this with a potential second baby being born. My wife's not pregnant. It's not like anything certain at this point. It's obviously there's no guarantee like for a lesbian couple to get pregnant. Um so we know it will take some time, but my ultimate goal is to plan my fire date where I retire early, right when hopeful baby number two is born, because in Canada, you can get up to 18 months of maternity leave or parental leave, excuse me. Um, Which is amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was 12 up to 12 months. And this year they extended it to up to 18 months. So you can choose, you have a choice if you want 12 months or 18 months, which is incredible right like yeah it's mind-blowing like growing up in in the states like hear that yeah i'm um, like can i get a month please <laughs> yeah um so with that we wouldn't get paid you know our whole salary by any means but after taxes we would net about twenty five thousand dollars. um so that would definitely help weather any sort of market crash we could likely live off of that because right now we're living off of twenty four thousand dollars um, and, and don't see, you know, any reason why we couldn't, even with another baby, our, our child now is 15 months old. And I think we've spent about $1,400 on her since she's born, like including diapers, you know, you name it, like everything except for the pregnancy costs. Um, which for us, we actually got pretty lucky and it wasn't that expensive, but 
yeah. nursery, you know, from the nursery decorations to all of her clothes to stroller, you know, you name it, all that sort of stuff. We've spent about 14, 15, something like that, $1,500, which some people spend on a stroller alone. So, right. <laughs> you know, right. yeah, I'm you can concerned. spend as much as you want there, right? <laughs> right, right. No so yeah. So I think realistically, we can still spend around $25,000 when second baby, if second baby is born. Um, so we can weather any sort of market crash for that first year for sure. And then if, if my wife isn't able to get pregnant and we're just a family of three, which we're totally content with and understand that, you know, that's totally a possibility. Then, you know, we're living like Queens because we're basing this off of $35,000 a year annual spend and we're nowhere near that. So it would just be, you know, not icing on the cake because I obviously we want, you know, to grow our family, but in terms of our sequence of return risk and withdrawal rate, it would be icing on the cake in that sense. Right. I find it interesting. I know I'm jumping back a little bit, but I find it interesting that you only check your accounts like what, once a month now or something. Yeah. And to me, that sounds like frequent. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got to log in now. Like now I'm way more into it because I'm so close to my fire number that I, you know, I'm just inching and inching back. But I also find if I obsess about it, I don't see the changes like that big changes, I guess, in my mind where I'm like, Oh, it moved, you know, $300. Like that does nothing to me. Like if I check it every day, like I don't see the bigger picture when I'm checking it every day. Um, so even month over month, you know, you can see variations to the market. I keep track of how the market overall is doing. So I have an idea, but I don't log into my accounts every day. Like right now, it's like I said, it's once a month. And before that, it wasn't even close to that. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm not, Jason, I'm not sure if you or me is worse. Maybe we should have a hundred dollar bet to see who can't log into their, to their checking account or something. <laughs> and the other person knows a hundred bucks, whoever logs in first. I don't know how long, we, I don't know how I long mean, we'd last. Checking, checking account. I'm checking anything, anything financially, but... just leave it. The other stuff I don't check as frequently as I used to. It's, it's at a minimum or probably maximum monthly. So Courtney, the, the fire, it's become a huge thing, right? Yeah. And and we use it we use the word in all ways, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a noun, a verb, an adjective? Like nobody <laughs> nobody really knows anymore, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I mean, what is it? What do you think? Like what it, and and then along with that, what is fire to you? Is is fire to you? You kind of talked about it earlier. Is it having a an amount where you said 7 800,000 and and having a safe withdrawal rate but living at living the way you've always lived? Is it, you know, and then we have these new terms, right? Like lean fire and fat fire and and but I think fire means something different for different people. Sure. Yeah. So I think for, I mean, like you said, it's everyone's going to have their own opinion on the def, their own definition. Right. But um, for me, it's a point at which your passive income, whether that's through investments in various stocks and bonds through taxable and tax advantage accounts or real estate, or, you know, you name it any way that you're bringing in income, whether it's dividends, doesn't matter that you can live off of a certain withdrawal amount um, without depleting your accounts over the course of your life. To me, that's what FIRE is in terms of a definition. But beyond that, it's more of a lifestyle. It's more of understanding that you don't need to keep up with the Joneses. On top of that, you know, you don't need to keep up with all the celebrities out there who 
you know, are showing off this mansion and this car and whatever it's bad enough as is just trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, but now, you know, with social media, everyone's posting their dream life and which is not reality. And it's just being aware of that, like being aware of what you value and what brings you joy and focusing on that. It's a mindset shift. It's understanding that true happiness does not have to be expensive. And I'm not going to knock someone who says, Oh, my fire number is a hundred thousand dollars. That's great. You know, if that is what it takes to bring you joy, like to spend that hundred thousand dollars over the year on whatever it is that you decide on, that's fine. Like there's no set number to me that means you're fire. If like some people are like, Oh, we're like such uber frugal savers and we don't do anything. And it's not that it's, it's we've figured out what makes us happy. And that's what we spend our money on. And we don't spend our money on the rest. So like for me, I don't care about a, a fancy car. So I'm not going to go and get that. If, if I inherited, you know, another million dollars today, which is never going to happen. But if I did, I am my, my first step would not be to be like, okay, I'm going to go get, I don't even know, like you name whatever luxury cars out there. Right, that means, right. that means nothing to me, you know? So it's just understanding what you value and aligning your actions with your values. And I think that's the biggest takeaway of fire. And inherently it means you end up spending less essentially because you're, you cut out the fluff, you cut out the stuff that doesn't matter. You're able to increase your savings rate if you can increase your income too. That's even better. You know, what some, some people are all about side gigs and stuff like that. Personally, I've never worked more than 40 hours a week. I'm all about work-life balance. I, I would, I'm, this is not about deprivation. This is not about killing yourself and putting in a hundred hours a week. I, I hear some people on your podcast who do that. And again, that's great. Like that's what drives them. But right. for, me, for me, it doesn't, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Right. And so for me, it's all about balance, work-life balance, having that family balance, being there for my family. I want to be there every day, every minute of every day. And this is just allowing me to propel that dream to be with my family now and say a year from now, 24 seven. So to me, that brings me ultimate joy is spending time with my family. If, if someone doesn't have a family, you know, that's not going to be what they value. If they don't have kids, you know, they don't want to be home. They're not going to put that as their number one for their motivation for fire. So it really just depends on the person and their situation. Some people want to travel the world. That's great. Like I want to travel too. And we have that baked into our travel numbers, but it's not our ultimate goal when we reach fire to go travel for, I don't know, 10 years or as long as we can. Right. That's, that's not for us. I want to travel a couple times a year, but so it's not a one size fits all. It's a lifestyle. It's a change in your mindset and figuring out what makes you happy. And inherently you grow that gap and are able to invest more, which rep- which propels you to reaching it even faster. And I just want to overemphasize, like just becoming involved in the community has been so great for me. I've been kind of living in the closet. Like, so I already had to come out of the closet once as a lesbian and that was fine. You know, like I was terrified of it, but it was fine. But now like this year, I basically came out of the closet again and started opening up on my Instagram account and my blog, like, Hey, here we are. And like here on this podcast, right? Like it's kind of scary to talk about it because mainstream doesn't get it. But 
like you said, it's growing. Like this is a movement and people are understanding it and more people are getting hooked and under like really grasping the positive sides to it. Cause really there's only positives here. It's just like get out of debt, save money, do what you want. Then once you're free, it's freedom, you know? So that was a long answer. Sorry, but that's, <laughs> that's my no, answer. No, <laughs> I, I think you're spot on in, in the sense that it's different for everybody. And, and oftentimes, right. And, and for you, it sounds like money's kind of a tool to get you where you want to go. Right. And mm-hmm. it might, it mm-hmm. might not be $10 million. Right. But for you, it's right. work life balance for you. It's spending time with your kid or kids and, right. and, and money's kind of the tool that'll help you do that. And you don't need $5 million to do it. Right. right. So, so that's right. what fire is to you. And, and I totally agree. I think it's different for every person. So yeah, good point. Um, just to close, I want to end with some rapid fire questions here and then, and then, uh, go into some last piece of mistakes and last sure. piece of advice. So what's the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? I want to say they're about $45 on sale from the gap. And funny enough, they, were about, I think they were one size small. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'll fit in them one day. And that day has never happened. My weight has kind of like <laughs> stayed the same forever. <laughs> so I don't even think I've ever worn them, <laughs> but that was my expensive pair. Okay. okay. Most expensive shoes? Um, probably my winter boots. Now that I'm in Canada, you need good outer gear. Um, yeah. so I have a pair of Pajar, which is a Canadian company. Um, got a pair of boots that I think are like two fifty normally. I got them on sale for a hundred dollars. Okay, most expensive car? Uh, that would be the car we're we're driving now. The cars we're driving. So I have a two thousand nine Toyota Corolla. Um, bought it for seven thousand dollars in cash. Um, and my wife has a two thousand eleven Chevy Equinox that she bought for eighty seven hundred dollars. And again, they both have now they have about. 50, 55,000 miles on them. Okay. Most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Our wedding. I'm surprised no one has said this, or at least I haven't heard it on your podcast. Yeah. Maybe because <laughs> their parents pay for it or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. We funded our wedding um, 100%. Um, we kept it very DIY. Um, I think on, in total it was about $9,000 for 90 people. So we, we did good in terms of budget, but um, we spent about $3,000 on food and another $2,000 on drinks and alcohol. Um, so that's definitely the most expensive meal we've ever paid for. After that, maybe $100 for my okay. wife and I to go out on a date. Yep. Yeah, yep. maybe. Um, I think you kind of talked about this items or item or items or experiences spending more money on Is that travel for you. Yeah, it's, it's experiences. Um, you know, whether it's travel or doing things outside, whether it's hiking or skiing or playing hockey. We both grew up playing hockey. Um, so skating on an outdoor rink, which is free, but like, you know, other, th- other things listed cost money. We also really value like an- annual expenses to, uh, whether it's a national park pass or a zoo pass or a science center or our sports center, you know, different things like that, that we can really utilize and get our money's worth yeah. from. Also, quality food from the grocery store. Um, so we don't really eat out much. We eat out maybe once a month. Like we're not big into going out to eat. Um, but we really do enjoy cooking. Um, my, my wife's a really great cook. So we are always looking for local food, whether it's from the farmer's market or just the local section of our grocery store and just getting, trying out different things there. Awesome. Any uh, favorite books or tools or websites? You said you don't use the budgeting apps or anything. So any books that have been influential? 
Yeah, um, a couple books. Uh, the Simple Path to Wealth, as I mentioned before, if you're new to investing, don't know what to do, highly recommend that. Um, your Money or Your Life, uh, amazing book for anyone kind of new to FIRE or even if you've, you're into FIRE and haven't read it. It's basically figuring out how much time are you spending for whatever it may be. It's just like a really great way to think about things. Like how many hours are you spending for those pair of shoes? Things like that. Playing with fire. Again, this would be great for anyone new to the whole fire concept. Um, meet the frugal woods. I love the frugal woods blog and Liz came out with that book. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of minimalism, I really like the book goodbye things. And I also really like the book, the story of stuff, which is more on the consumer marketing over over craze that we are dealing yeah. with. Of, you know, um, that was a really great book too. Yeah, it's interesting. That one hasn't been mentioned uh, on our show. Uh, last question here: range of household income through your working life. Um, so my income, I started off at sixty nine thousand dollars with my first job after my master's. Um, that was in 2009. I stayed with this company primarily. I I left and now I'm back with them. Um, but my income has just slowly grown over the years. And now with my bonus, I make about $130,000. My wife, she's a nurse and she worked for about four years after school before going on parental leave. And I don't, don't quote me on this, but I want to say she was making about $45,000. She was a casual nurse. So she wasn't working full time. So I think that's about what she was making. Awesome. Awesome. And then last question, if you could just give, you know, two tips of advice in in a minute, an elevator pitch to somebody on fire, (laughs) on fire, what would, what kind of would that elevator pitch be? Start early, like get into this, like fire is so amazing. If you're in school or just getting ready to finish school and don't really know anything about the real world because school doesn't really teach you about that and what to do with your money. But again, this isn't just for young people. Like it's, it's a path that takes about 10 to 15 years, depending on your income, depending on your savings rate that anyone can do. So if you're in your forties and you could still retire early, you could still retire earlier than the typical 65 or even beyond that at this point, typical retirement age. Advice that in terms of what I didn't do that I wish I could have done looking back is I didn't max out my tax advantages, tax advantage accounts early on. Um, again, I didn't really know what I was doing, but take advantage of those, whether it's your 401k and IRA in the States or RSP and TFSA in Canada, like max those out. Another thing that's not really fire related, but job related is you need to look out for yourself in terms of your income and promotions. You need to promote yourself to your boss and or your employer. And when you think you have reached that point where you've earned a promotion, um, you know, they have so many things going on that yes, you are important to them, but your, your promotion is probably not number one on their line item. And so if you not in a annoying way, but if you appropriately bring it up, chances are that promotion may come sooner rather than later. And that's something mm. I, I didn't realize until later on either. And yeah. again, like you got to be careful with it. Right. But, right, right, right. Um, you know, you need to look out for yourself. Yeah. 
Great advice. And I think great, great interview and, and great story. I love how you guys have kind of figured out what works for you. You've realized what's fire is for you and you've kind of gone full fledged and, and attacked it. So really admirable story for you and your family. So again, that's Courtney with a net worth of $1.1 million. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.